Good morning. Glad you're here. Please pray with me. Oh, gracious Father, we thank you for the blessed occasion of the gathering of your people. We pray that you would be with us this day. Father, would you give us what we need? Would you lead us? Would you feed your sheep? Would you encourage us in the most holy faith? Father, our desire this day is that your Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, might be highly exalted. And we pray to you in his name, in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Would you please open your Bibles to the 130th division of the Psalms? Psalm 130. This is another of those songs of degrees or songs of ascent. Last Lord's Day, we chose as our text Psalm 121. Let us look unto the hills, which was a song of degrees or ascents. These pilgrim psalms that the children of Israel sang as they went up to Jerusalem for the Jewish festivals. Psalm 130, another one of these. Please stand with me for the reading of Holy Scripture. The people of God sang and they said, Out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Jehovah. Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If thou, Jehovah, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? But there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. I wait for Jehovah. My soul doth wait, and in his word do I hope. My soul waiteth for the Lord more than they that watch for the morning. I say, more than they that watch for the morning. Let Israel hope in Jehovah, for with Jehovah there is mercy, and with him is plenteous redemption. And he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of Holy Scripture. You may be seated. Well, our text for the morning is there in verses 3 and 4. In verse 3, the psalmist poses this question. If thou, Jehovah, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? And then in verse 4, he observes, There is forgiveness with thee, that thou mayest be feared. Brothers and sisters, consider this question. A question posed by the psalmist to Almighty God. He asks, if God marks down iniquities, if He makes a record of each and every sin, if He writes them all down, if God does that, who shall stand? Who can stand if God takes notes on our sins? Now, friend, if we stop right there, 
The answer to that question should be obvious. But think with me for a minute. I want you to picture in your mind a great courtroom. Picture a courtroom. And picture, if you can, in that courtroom, a great judge. Do you have it? Do you have it? Now, imagine that that courtroom is the judgment bar of God Himself. And imagine that the judge in that courtroom is the Almighty. And imagine that the Almighty is not only the judge who will examine and pronounce sentence against you, against me, but imagine that the Almighty is also the one who will bring the charges against you, against me. And imagining him opening his book, his notebook, a book full of notes, full of marks, a book full of marks against you, a book full of marks against me. And with that image in your mind, consider the psalmist's question. If the Almighty, who sees everything, who hears everything, who knows everything, even the secret thoughts of a man's heart, if the Almighty were to make a record of the iniquities of a man or a woman and then hold her, hold him to account for these iniquities before his bar of divine justice, who could stand? Who could stand? Well, beloved, listen, I I know the answer to that question. I know the answer, and I assure you, I assure you, no one could stand. No one at all could stand. The Bible says of our God, He is, quote, of purer eyes than to behold evil and canst not look upon iniquity. Habakkuk 1.13. The Bible says, Jehovah looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Psalm 14, 2 and 3. The Bible says, every man at his best state is altogether vanity. Psalm 39, 5. When the Philistines of Beth Shemesh looked into the captured ark of the covenant of the Lord, the Bible says that God smote them with a great slaughter. The Bible says God killed over 50,000 of them. And do you recall the lamentation of those men of Beth Shemesh? After that great slaughter, they cried out, Who 
is able to stand before this holy Lord God? 1 Samuel 6.20 Who? Who is able to stand? And listen, their question was rhetorical because they already knew the answer. They knew the answer. The answer was obvious to them. No one, no one at all could stand before the consuming fire of Israel's God. All we did was look into this box. Beloved, listen. The standards of the Almighty Judge are such that if He marks down iniquities, all flesh, every man, every woman, every boy, every girl, all are guilty. And none can stand before the Almighty. No, not even one. Friend, I'm just telling you what the Bible says. This conclusion is so obvious that it need not be stated, but I'll state it anyway. If God Almighty marks down iniquity, there is no man, no woman, no boy, no girl who can stand, for all are guilty in His sight. Yea, the heavens are not clean in His sight. Job 15.15 The psalmist knows that. David knows that. So his question is rhetorical. He's not asking, who shall stand to determine if there maybe is one who might be able to stand before the judge of all the earth? No, no. He's asking the question rhetorically. To demonstrate that if God takes account of iniquities, no one can stand before Him. But look there. He observes, but, but there is forgiveness with thee, that thou mayest be feared. Now, friends, listen, we, we should praise God for the glorious conjunctions in Holy Scripture. Look, look there at this one. If thou, Jehovah, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? But there is forgiveness with thee, that thou mayest be feared. When confronted with the inescapableness of the damning judgment of Almighty God, hope whispers, but there's forgiveness, but there's forgiveness. Where? With thee. There's forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. Now, I hope that everyone here is aware that forgiveness is absolutely necessary for entrance into the kingdom of God. That's a fact. 
Forgiveness is absolutely necessary for entrance into the kingdom of God. No one becomes a Christian. No one becomes right with God apart from forgiveness. No one is saved except those who have been forgiven. Nobody goes to heaven. No one will have a part in the recreated new heaven and new earth except those who are forgiven. So forgiveness is absolutely necessary. And listen, if God has forgiven your sins, then you know how necessary it is. And if not, listen, if not, let me affirm that if God has not forgiven you, you will have your place with the condemned. God, listen, God only saves sinners. You understand this? God only saves sinners. And when He saves them, He forgives them. He forgives them. So forgiveness is absolutely necessary because of the nature of the kingdom of God. Listen, we believe that now we are living, existing, and walking in the kingdom of God. Now, presently, don't we? We believe that Christ's exaltation to the right hand of the Father is not some future event. We believe that has already happened. And we believe that when our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ ascended into heaven, He ascended to a throne. Peter teaches that our Lord ascended to the throne of His father, David. To David's throne and that He presently rules over all. And nothing happens apart from His will. This was confirmed by that deacon, Stephen. Bill just preached to us about this. It was confirmed by that righteous deacon, Stephen, that martyr who was given beatific vision as he died. And he saw up into the heavens and he cried out in the words of that old song, I see Jesus standing at the Father's right hand. I see Jesus standing at the Father's right hand. And he prayed to God and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. The beloved apostle tells us that nothing that offends is allowed into the holy city of God. Nothing that offends. He says, there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. The fearful and unbelieving, the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake that burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Nothing that offends God is ultimately going into the holy city. And beloved, listen, listen. 
Only the forgiven. Only the forgiven can enter his kingdom. Only the forgiven can enter the heaven of God. So in light of the nature of Almighty God and in light of the nature of the kingdom of God, forgiveness is absolutely necessary. And friend, listen, if forgiveness is so, so necessary, where can we get the forgiveness that we need? Do you need it? Beloved, I do. Friend, I do. Well, the psalmist says, there is forgiveness with thee. And when he says thee, he's speaking of Almighty God. Now, listen, we need the forgiveness of men, don't we? If, if we have sinned against a fellow creature, a man or a woman, we are to seek forgiveness from those that we have offended by our sins. The Bible teaches that. We need the forgiveness of men. And we're commanded to forgive those who seek our forgiveness. That can be difficult. Willie said forgiven was easy. Forgetting? We just prayed. God, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Listen, Christians are to be forgiving people. And we may need the forgiveness of man. We do from time to time need the forgiveness of man. But listen, what is much more important is that we have the forgiveness of God. When King David sinned in the matter of Bathsheba, God sent his prophet Nathan to bring words of judgment and conviction to the king. And you remember the words of the prophet. And you remember the king's hasty response. And you remember the condemnation announced by the prophet as he looked upon David and said, Well, thou art the man. You the man. 2 Samuel 12, 7. Yeah, you got it right, David. That's what should happen. And you, you are the man. And in the aftermath of this condemnation, David penned a great song of confession and repentance. It's that familiar psalm, number 51. But there's something that's always bothered me about David's confession. Now, I've mentioned this to you before. It's always bothered me. In verse 4, David says, Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. Does that bother you? Well, what about Bathsheba? What about her, David? Listen, David was no joke of a king like these English Windsors. No. 
No, he was a real king. He was an oriental potentate. And what he said happened. The Bible says none of his words fell to the ground. He was a real king. And when David had Bathsheba fetched from the river and brought to his bedroom, the sin was his, not hers, friend. Are you listening? The sin was his, not hers. It surely seems to me like David sinned against Bathsheba. And what about Uriah the Hittite? You know, her husband? What about him? He was dead, murdered, because David put a hit out on him. Why did he put a hit out on him? Well, to cover this up. And what was Uriah guilty of? Loyalty? Marrying a beautiful woman? What was he guilty of? It sure seems to me like David sinned against Uriah the Hittite. And what about the nation? God's nation, Israel. Well, the national troops were out in battle in faith and confidence that their king was tending to the affairs of state. That ain't what he was doing, friend. What was he doing? It sure seems to me like David sinned against the people of God. But in the psalm, in his psalm of confession, he writes, against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. Brothers and sisters, I don't see how David's sin was against God only. But listen, think about this. How could he seek forgiveness from Uriah? Uriah was dead. David couldn't seek forgiveness from him. And what what about us, friend? Is it possible that somebody in here, one of you, or me, is it possible that you've sinned against someone and they can't forgive you because they're dead and gone? And you can't go ask them, forgive me, because they're dead and gone. Yeah, it's possible. Maybe even probable. And what if you ask someone to forgive you earnestly, sincerely asked someone to forgive you and they said, no. Could that happen? You know, forgiveness can't be coerced, friend. Are you listening? It's a gift. It cannot be coerced. It must be given. So what about if you ask someone to forgive you and they said, no. Well, I can't explain all this. But you know there is an understanding of faith. Hebrews 
11.3. And friend, listen, I understand this. God can forgive sins. And the forgiveness that David ultimately needed, that he had to have, was God's forgiveness. You see, sin is a transgression of God's holy law. And though human agents may be involved in sin, and human agents often are involved in sin, ultimately all sin is sin against God. Ultimately. Even those sins that are against those who are made in God's image, in other words, our fellow creatures, even those sins are ultimately sins against God. And listen, God can forgive sin. Listen, Jesus can forgive sins. We know that there's forgiveness with God because we have been informed by divine revelation about the character of God. And listen, an important feature of the character of Almighty God is that He delighteth in mercy. Micah 7.18 He delights in mercy. Friend, hallelujah. He delighteth in mercy. It gives, listen, it gives our God great pleasure to forgive sins. I, I can't get my mind around this, friend. And He has found a way. He's found a way to do it. God has. So in 1 John 1, verse 9, we read, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God's found a way to do it faithfully and in justice. Friend, listen, our God does not be entreated as if He were slow to pardon. No, it is one of His special joys to cast iniquity into the depths of the sea. Micah 7, 19. Our God's character, His personality, as it's revealed to us in Holy Scripture, convinces us there is forgiveness with Him. God forgives sins. God delights to forgive sins. He sent His Son to save His people from their sins. Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of the living God, forgives sins. Please turn with me to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. And look there to verse 18. The Bible says, Behold, men brought in a bed a man which was taken with a palsy, and they sought means to bring him in and to lay him before Jesus. 
And when they couldn't find a way that they might bring him in because of the multitude, they went up upon the housetop and let him down through the tiling with his couch into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said unto him, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. That's what Jesus said to the man. And the scribes and Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this that speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Oh, 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 they understood. They just didn't understand that God was right there. And when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answering said unto them, What reason ye in your hearts? What's easier to say, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, rise up and walk, but that you may know that the Son of God hath power upon earth to forgive sins, he said unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, arise, take up thy couch and go to thine house. And immediately he rose up before them and took up that whereon he lay and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed. And they glorified God and were filled with fear, saying, Oh, we have seen strange things today. Now, beloved, listen. Right here we have an explicit claim from God, from Jesus, that he can forgive sins. And he authenticated his words with a miraculous sign. He said, just so you'll know, just so you'll know that I can forgive sins. And he turned to this sick man and said, get your sleeping bag and head home. They said, that can't happen. That can't happen. This guy hadn't been able to walk forever. That can't happen. But it did happen. That's the point. You just saw something you think can't happen. Happen? Just because you saw it? I'm telling you, things that you can't see can happen too. God, the Word, God used the Word to speak creation into existence. The worlds were framed by the Word of God. And here, God, the Word, speaks sin out of existence. Eric, it's a decreation. Thy sins be forgiven thee. Friend, I don't know. I don't know what's much better. What do you have against me, God? Nothing. Nothing. You're perfect in my sight. What? The psalmist says, there is forgiveness with thee. And our Savior says, you know that I have power to forgive sins. Brothers and sisters, listen, it is essential that we have forgiveness. And listen, we can get it from our Savior. 
We can get it from our God. This idea, this impression that God forgives sins, listen, it's communicated to us as the general tenor of the Scriptures. And it's the direct teaching of the Gospels. Why did Jesus Christ come into the world to be a Savior if God doesn't delight to save the lost? You think God does things because somebody makes Him? No, He does things because He wants to. He's God. Why did He send His Son to be the Savior of the world? Because He so loved the world. Why did Christ offer Himself as an atonement for sin if it were not that sin might be put away by His cross work? This is the whole point. Why was there a fountain opened for sin and uncleanness? Why is there a fountain filled with blood if it's not God's intent to wash away the stains of His people's guilt? That is His intent. You can't deal with your sin. I will. Brothers and sisters, listen. That accursed and yet blessed cross and our bleeding Savior dying upon it, that ought to give us such an assurance of God's forgiveness that we should never doubt it. God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5.8 Easter's coming, my friend. He didn't stay dead. There is forgiveness with our God. The wounds of our Savior testify to this with such an emphasis that It's an absolute certainty. There is forgiveness. There is forgiveness. Glory, glory, hallelujah. There is forgiveness. Now, I want you to notice something here in the psalmist's language. He says, there is forgiveness. That phrase, there is forgiveness, that's a sentence in itself. And you know that in English, the verb is, is the third person singular form of to be. You know that is is what's called a state of being verb. So here, the psalmist is teaching that with God, there is forgiveness. Forgiveness exists with God. Forgiveness bees with Him. Forgiveness is presently available with God. It's not was. It's not will be. Forgiveness is. There is forgiveness with our God. Brothers and sisters, listen, we can be even more sure, more sure that God will forgive sin because we have so many definite promises to that effect. Listen, 
Remember the words of Jehovah in Isaiah 1.18. He says, come now, let us reason together. Saith Jehovah, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Remember the words of the wise man in Proverbs 28, 13. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. We already cited 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful. He's just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Brothers and sisters, the... (laughs) The Holy Scriptures are filled with promises and proclamations of mercy. This book is full. It's full of messages of love and grace. The Bible teaches that God does not delight in judgment. That He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. That He's not willing that any should perish. The Bible teaches that He delights to show mercy. That He's filled with compassion. And that grace is freely granted to the vilest of sinners who repent and turn to Jesus. The Bible teaches, Whosoever calleth upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans 10.13. And listen, friend, (laughs) this doctrine is clearly taught in Holy Scripture. And you and I, we should share the psalmist's confidence that there is forgiveness with our God. There is. And, And listen, what else can we offer sinners with that? I know a guy... I know a guy. I know a guy that can help you. I can't. He can. Often, you know this, often the forgiveness of man, it's only verbal. He says, I forgive. But anger remains in his heart, even while his lips are professing Forgiveness. I mean, you've done it. Like, oh, forgive me. Well, I'm pretty mad about it. But I'm, I'm a Christian. I know I should. Okay, yeah, I forgive you. That's not the forgiveness of God, though. We're not perfect, but He is. And God's forgiveness is full. His pardon is free. He's not mad at us. When he says he forgives, he means it in the fullest sense of the word. God treats, listen, God treats repentant sinners as if they had never transgressed against him. Not like us. Well, yeah, I forgive you. Keep your eye on that guy. He's already showed what kind of a guy he is. Probably smart. He treats 
repentant sinners as if they had never transgressed against Him. He makes them new creatures in Jesus. And they will stand before Him, listen, throughout eternity as if a thought of sin had never crossed their minds. Listen, the gracious judgment of God or the gracious forgiveness of God changes a judge into a father. And you know those are radically different relationships. My daddy's a judge. You see, if I had to go before a great judge who marked down every iniquity, I couldn't stand. You couldn't either. But it's entirely different. It's an entirely different thing to go before a father who loves me. A father who gave his only begotten son to reconcile me to himself. But look there. The psalmist says, There is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. Now, how is that? How is that the forgiveness that is with our God will make us fear? Well, think with me for a minute about how if there were no forgiveness, there would be no cause for fear. Think about that for a minute. If there were no forgiveness, there would be no cause for fear. You see, fear is the most rational emotion. It's the emotional response to threats and to danger. But emotions are fleeting. And if there were no forgiveness with God, there would be no fear, friend. There would be only despair. Do you understand? There would be only despair. In light of the certainty that if God marked down iniquities, none could stand before Him. In light of that, if there was no forgiveness, it wouldn't be fear. It would just be despair. I'm reminded of a lecture I heard in a psychology class back when I was in college that made an impression on me. And our professor in the class discussed this horrible phenomenon of suicide. And it was all the more poignant at the time because recently there had been a suicide on campus in which a guy went up to the top of a tall, tall dormitory and cut the chains. They had the door chains shut and leapt off of that high building and screamed. And a bunch of people, this was back before everybody had televisions in their room, and they had break rooms or television rooms on, I think, two on every floor of the dorm, and a bunch of people heard him as he came by. And members of the student body were traumatized And in the lecture, 
The college professor, the psychology professor, told us that often when a depressed person determines to commit suicide, when they make up their mind to do it, they'll exhibit what many around them perceive to be an improved demeanor. Have you heard this? Sometimes a person who's been very depressed would even seem to get happy because they made up their mind, I'm just going to do myself in. Now listen, you and I who are Christians believe that when that happens, what's happened is that person has entered into a deception. They've entered into a deception. They've embraced it. They're thinking, things are going to improve with my death. But boy, whoa, that's a gamble. They're thinking things will improve with my death. And, but with that deception that they've entered into, their despair is lifted. And they seemingly get happy. And so people will say, boy, their demeanor is approved. Have you heard this? If you know someone who's depressed and all of a sudden they get happy, it's not necessarily a good sign. Friend, listen. Oh, how horrible is despair. But beloved, listen. That would be our state. Despair would be our state. If we had not this wonderful promise, there is forgiveness with thee, that thou mayest be feared. If there were no forgiveness, fear could not remain. It would shortly become despair, like the despair of suicide. I just want to get it over with. Friend, if you have fear, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. If there were no forgiveness, there would ultimately be no fear. Listen, Holy Scripture speaks of no forgiveness for the devil and his angels. And there is no devil that has reverence or adoration for God. James tells us they tremble. The devils believe and tremble. But it's not the trembling of godly fear. It's a trembling of a dreadful anticipation of judgment of the pit. They have a sort of dread And without pardon, there should be a dread, even and horror of God. For He will not hold him guiltless who has sinned against him. But that's not the fear the psalmist speaks of. For the fear of God in Holy Scripture does not signify dread. Listen, the fear of God in Holy Scripture symbolizes true religion reverence, awe. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, Holy Scripture proclaims. And brethren, listen, unless there is a pardon of sin, it's clear that the absence of forgiveness drives sinners to despair and prevents them from worshiping God. 
In his commentary on this passage, John Calvin wrote, listen, quote, The sense of God's judgment, unless conjoined with the hope of forgiveness, strikes men with terror, which must necessarily engender hatred. Whence it follows that men never serve God aright, unless they know that He is a gracious and merciful being. There is forgiveness with Him that He may be feared. And listen, brethren, if there were no forgiveness, listen, if there were no forgiveness, there would be nobody to fear the Lord. Does that make sense to you? He's Almighty God. He could zap you like a bug. If there were no forgiveness with Him, there would be no one to fear before Him. If there were no forgiveness, the wrath of God would long ago have swept all humanity away because we're sinners. If God did not have forgiveness for His people, the whole world would have perished already because it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. Lamentations 3, 22. There is forgiveness with God that He may be feared. The Apostle Paul teaches that it's even the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. Romans 2, 4. Friends, listen. How can we not fear Read those scriptures about trembling. The Bible says that when Moses spoke the words of God to the children of Israel, the Bible says they began to tremble. They began to shake. And they said, we, we don't want to hear any more of this. It's not the voice of a man. They trembled before the word of God. And brethren, listen, there is a holy, awesome, magnificent God behind this word. A God who can save or damn based solely upon his pleasure. And it's by this word and the living word that will one day be judged. And I rejoice, friend, that there is forgiveness with Him, that He may be feared. The psalmist says, If thou, Jehovah, shouldst mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? But there is forgiveness with thee, that thou mayest be feared. And then he says, I wait upon, or I wait for Jehovah. My soul doth wait. And in His Word do I hope. What Word? That's verse 5. What Word? What Word is He hoping in? Well, what Word are you hoping in? Hope in this Word. Hope in this Word, friend. There is forgiveness. There is forgiveness with thee. 
Hope in that word. And brothers and sisters, listen. May we who have experienced the gracious forgiveness of our Lord fear Him. No man more truly loves God than the one who is most fearful to offend Him. So let's fear righteously our pardoning God. And please hear me, unsaved friend. If you're here today and you have never experienced forgiveness of sin, listen, please. If you've never experienced forgiveness of sin, this church entreats you, urges you, pleads with you, come to Jesus of Nazareth. There is forgiveness with Him. And He is God. He's merciful and gracious. He delights to forgive sinners. Out of the deeps of long distress, the borders of despair, I sent my cries to seek thy grace, my groans to move thine ear. Great God, should thy severer eye and thine impartial hand mark and revenge iniquity, no mortal flesh could stand. But there are pardons with my God for crimes of high degree. Thy Son has bought them with His blood to draw us near to Thee. I wait for Thy salvation, Lord. With strong desires I wait. My soul, invited by Thy Word, stands watching at Thy gate. Just as the guards that keep the night long for the morning skies, watch the first beams of breaking light and meet them with their eyes, so waits my soul to see Thy grace, and more intent than they, meets the first openings of Thy face and finds a brighter day. Then in the Lord let Israel trust, let Israel seek His face. The Lord is good as well as just, and plenteous is His grace. Please stand with me for prayer. Let us pray. Creator and Redeemer God, author of all existence, source of all blessedness, I adore Thee for making me capable of knowing Thee, for giving me reason and conscience, for leading me to desire Thee. I praise Thee for the revelation of Thyself in the Gospel, for Thy heart as a dwelling place of pity, for thy thoughts of peace toward me, for thy patience and thy graciousness, for the vastness of thy mercy. Thou hast moved my conscience to know how the guilty can be pardoned, the unholy sanctified, the poor enriched. 
May I be always amongst those who not only hear, but know Thee, who walk with and rejoice in Thee, who take Thee at Thy word and find life there. Oh, keep me always longing for a present salvation in Holy Spirit comforts and rejoicings, for spiritual graces and blessings, for help to value my duties as well as my privileges. O Father, help me that I may cherish simplicity and godly sincerity of character. Help me to be in reality before Thee as in appearance I am before men. To be religious before I profess religion. To leave the world behind as I enter Thy church. To set my affections upon things above. To shun folly and vanity to be a dispenser as well as a partaker of grace, to be prepared to bear evil as well as to do good. O God, make me worthy of Thy calling that in the name of Jesus Thou might be glorified in me. In Jesus' name, amen.